I have one, really only one goal today in today's message is that I want to stoke a fire for your passion for the Word of God. I, I, I want you to be excited about your Bible, and I know that that's, that's probably a hard ask. Right now, currently, we are in a Bible reading plan, as we call it the 1215. It's basically five days of reading through the Scripture, and we have a nice little schedule here with little check boxes, and I know that almost every one of you is behind, and that's okay. It's completely okay. No guilt, no judgment. In fact, Pastor Josh is about a week behind himself. But I'm going to get right back up on the horse. I'm going to make sure I read the Bible this year cover to cover. I'll, I'll make the time. I'll dedicate the time to do it. And the reason why we want you to be fascinated with your Bible, the reason why we want to encourage you to maintain your passion when you read it, when you read these words of life, it's because it's going to strengthen you. It's going to strengthen your inner man, your inner woman. It's going to make your family life stronger when you're in the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And I know, let's just be, oh, thank you. I know that at times when you are reading through your Bible, there is always this reality of getting bored. Except for Kim. Kim doesn't get bored. <laughs> so, there, I mean, like, if you got through the, I mean, if you're going through the genealogies, if you're going through the laws and all this stuff that doesn't really seem like it applies, I can understand why it could seem like a, a boring document to read. But I'm here today to think this book is full of life. Yeah. And it is transformative. And it is, it is the Word of God. One thing I want to highlight is an attitude towards the Scripture that I think that we've lost as American Christians. And that is a holy reverence for the Bible. We just don't have the same reverence that we once had for it. Now, it's not necessarily our fault. Um, We have these fancy new Bibles called cell phones. And I love technology. I I love my online Bible. I like my online commentaries. Like, that's how I prepare for messages these days. I don't pull out the Greek and Hebrew lexicon anymore. I just Google it. It's amazing what we can, you know, what we can do with the Internet and studying the Scriptures. I don't have to raid my dad's library and steal his books anymore which I have done. And yet, because there is like a disconnection between the tangible, everything is digital, I think that we can lose a reverence for the objective word of God. Think back about, some of, us, some of you maybe had a family Bible Anybody ever have a family Bible? You get this big, giant book, and it's usually like in white leather, and, you know, inside of the cover, you have like a family tree, you have births and marriages, and in the back, you've got a a listing of deaths. Anybody have any of those types of family Bibles? And it basically just sat 
maybe sometimes on a pedestal in the living room, and this is monolith, this holy, untouchable book that nobody actually opens up and reads. Regardless, like, it's holy, right? You revered that thing. You were afraid to open that book. So we lost, we lost a little bit of that. And I'm not saying that we need to go back to that. What I am saying is that we need to revere the good book in our hearts in the same way. Some of you that come from older traditions, say Catholic or Greek Orthodox, I'm really bummed that George isn't here today. Uh, Episcopalian, even Jewish traditions, they have a reverence that they put on display that we don't, and I, I appreciate it. I mean, it's something that we're not going to do, but I appreciate what they've done. And, you know, through mainline and mainstream Christianity, even though we love the Bible, there's not the same type of reverence that we see in ancient traditions. And the Catholic and Orthodox churches, they have something, they do something called uh, the processional of the Bible. They literally per parade the Bible in. And so I, I did a little bit of YouTube searches, and there, was, there were some videos that were great, but, you know, for some of you, it probably sparked some bad memories of childhood or something. And so I found one. We're going to spend two minutes. We're going to watch this video. I found one that I think is very sweet. This is the processional of, of the Bible. It's very recent. It is just recently posted. You can tell by, you know, you'll be able to figure it out. And it's from our brothers and sisters in Nambia, Africa. Go ahead. Let's play that.
Isn't that sweet? I think it's sweet. Just the time taken to give reverence to the Bible before they even opened it up. I think I'm going to have start having Landon do a processional for me every Sunday. He's, gonna, he's going to uh, do a little parade, and he's going to present me my Bible every Sunday. <laughs> but rarely these days do we view the Bible with such affection. Usually these days the Bible is viewed with some disdain and doubt and criticism. I'll be the first to admit, I'm like, I wonder if there's any contradictions in the Bible. I'm a smart guy. I could probably find them. Is that a good way to approach the Word of God? I'm not saying that we don't study the Word of God. I'm not saying that we don't become students and understand everything that it has to say. But if you're opening the good book to find problems with it, well, I can tell you where the problem is. I love this reverence for the word of God. And I, I think, again, we need to get it in, into our heart. Like, there was such affection for the beauty of the word of God that they took the time to give a parade to it. Like, it almost even borders on the, on the line of, like, like, they're worshiping the Bible. That would be taking it to the extreme. Because, you know, we don't worship the Bible. We worship Jesus. It's Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, not Father, Son, and the Holy Scriptures. And yet, everything that we know objectively about God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is from this book. It's amazing, by the way. One of the things that I love about the Bible that keeps me fascinated with it is that it shouldn't exist. It makes no sense when you actually look at it from, you know, a historical mindset or as a piece of literature. It, like, it doesn't make sense. It's a very unique book. It's the most unique book in the world. Even the old ancient, you know, religious texts, they're not as honest as our Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, it all fits together, written over thousands of years by 66 books by hundreds of different authors. We don't know them all, but we, knew, we know one author, and that author is the Holy Spirit. It was inspired by God, written through the fingers of men, and maybe one woman. That's probably heresy. I probably shouldn't say that out loud. <laughs> Somebody's going to get mad at that. <laughs> it describes the beginning of creation. Read a certain way with such detail, it'll blow your head off. In the Old Testament, there are prophecies of the coming Messiah. There's prophecies of kings that will show up 400 years later. It's so accurate that the Bible critics have to say that it was written after the fact. And yet they can't prove it. 
It's such an honest book that in the New Testament, the first people to see the risen Christ are women. And if you're going to start a religion, you don't use women as your witnesses because you just don't do that in the first century. So feminism starts here. Mary, excuse me, Martha, recognizes Jesus as Lord and calls it out verbally before the disciples do. If you're going to make a religion, you don't start there. I mean, it's kind of hard to explain, but it, it just it doesn't make sense. And if you're going to build a hero, if you're going to tell a story about a hero, uh, Peter's not your guy. So do you see how honest the book is? Because the book talks a lot about us. And from that perspective, I think it needs to be revered. It's, wow, this thing shouldn't exist. This, this is from God. Like these processionals throughout history, when, when the early church began... Uh, Holy Spirit prompted, you know, by Matthew or Mark to say, hey, it's probably a really good idea that you write this stuff down. And so they started writing it down in detail early on. We have manuscripts to this day that are within a generation of the apostles. That doesn't make sense either. We don't have that for Julius Caesar's Gaelic Wars. We have, more, we have more data for Jesus than we do for Julius Caesar. It's kind of cool. And, and through history, there was such detail in the recopying by hand onto papyrus the holy words of God. Over and over again, they would hand copy, slowly, deliberately, accurately, word for word. And there developed from reading the letters of Paul and the epistles and, and the prophets, there developed this love and this affection for the word of God. In medieval times, they began to cherish their scriptures so much that they embellished them. We, we call them illuminated manuscripts, and they began to illuminate the Word of God with, with drawings, with art, because they loved and they revered it so much. I'll show you one. This is probably one of my favorite Bibles. Can we see the first one? There she is. Isn't that cool? It's got this big, giant metal clasp. I have no idea what scripture passage that is, but they sure did make it pretty. I, I can't read Latin. And it's probably, most likely, the, uh, uh, the Annunciation. But, man, look at the detail and the art that they put all around the Word of God. This is telling me that they value this. And you know what else they used? Gold ink. Like, this book is full of gold. 
Like there was so much love for the word of God that they were willing to decorate their Bible with gold. It would be like you taking your investment with Charles Schwab and, I don't know, figuring out how to decorate your, your, your old Bible with that. And there would be no return on investment. So they took their gold, their investment, and they made something beautiful out of it that would not give them a return on investment during, that, during their lifetime. Incidentally, this book just sold last year at Christie's Auction House for $3.2 million. Nazis had it for a while. The Nazis stole it in, in Europe, and then there was this philanthropist that went around and, and basically stole back all the Nazi things that they stole. And there was a and there's probably about 20 different Bibles. This was one of the more expensive ones. There was another one that sold for about three, three and a half million. Um, but out of the 20 Bibles, they all sold for 250 million just last year. That that's that's putting some value on the Word of God, wouldn't you say? Yeah, but I love it. Let's go to the next one. This one is called the Anselm Bible. And I can't, again, I can't read it because it's Latin, but we have the crucifixion of Jesus here, so it is illuminating, and it's basically telling the story. It's like a picture Bible. I don't know about you, but I would probably rather look at pictures in a book than read words. But this is what's going on here. So they're, they're, they're putting in the art of what is going on in the text. And this is Jesus encountering Mary after his resurrection. And then this side column is basically, in one giant column, is telling the story of God from the Trinity to the Garden of Eden and the Tree of Life to God the Father and so on and so forth. I'm not quite sure what's taking, on, taking place down there. But this is one of the best early Bible manuscripts in the world. This one's one of the best, if not the best. And you can go see it because it's at the Getty in Los Angeles. They just bought it not too long ago. We don't know how much they paid for it. I'm curious. But yeah, you can go see this. One of the best in the world, and you can go see it. Let's go to the next one. A little bit later on, um, people got tired of handwriting everything. And Johannes Gutenberg invented the printing press. And the first thing that they started printing, they started cranking out Bibles. Again, this is in Latin, so I don't know what it says. But they began to, to, to crank out these Bibles, these big, giant books. And what was good about that is that it revolutionized, was revolutionary to faith. Because prior to that, if you wanted to hear the Word of God, you had to go into the church and listen to the priests in Latin, and you couldn't understand him anyway. So the best you could do was look at the stained glass windows to try to figure out what the Word of God says. But now, everything changed with the Gutenberg. It was just as revolutionary as the Internet is for us. It changed the world. Everybody was able to get a Bible, and they printed off hundreds of these. Only 49 Gutenbergs exist. 
Some of them got chopped up and divvied up, and some book dealer thought it'd be a great idea to sell them page by page. Uh, that's kind of terrible, huh? Have you ever ripped a page out of your Bible and given it to somebody? Sacrilege. <laughs> Have you ever cut and pasted a verse and sent it to somebody? <laughs> I know. Two complete Gutenberg Bibles are now in the Huntington Library in Pasadena. Two out of the 49. You can go see them. Isn't that cool? Um, when I was in the museum industry, I actually um, worked with pages of the Gutenberg because my, my boss is one of those guys that bought the individual sheets. So I got to, I got to hold it. It was so cool. But again, it's printed, but this part isn't. So this would be like, this would be like your Bible. So they printed it. They got a black and white version. And then later an artist came in and began to embellish it and to decorate it and to put this gold H on there and the, the vines and everything to make it look pretty because they, they, just, they had so much reverence for it. Let's go to the next one. Yeah, isn't that pretty? Now, my Bible doesn't look like that at all. I have all these random sticky notes everywhere, and I've got highlighter, and I've got some really bad notes. Like, if I really tried to draw in here, it'd pretty much be stick figures. It would not be pretty. But I hear that some of you guys have pretty Bibles. So some of you got some good, you know, decorating skills. And I, Do I have another one, or is that it? That's it. Isn't that pretty? The reverence of it. The reverence of it. The Bible, like how do you actually view it? How do you see the word of God? What does it do for you? Does it do anything for you? Does it, um, like when you read it, what are you trying to get out of it? Hang on one second. I'm having such a hard time. There it is. Finding the book of Joshua, which is my name, right? Like, what do you want to get out of it? Like, there's a lot of things that you can get out of the Bible. This is one from Joshua chapter 1, verse, we'll, we'll start off. Oh, it's all so good. Uh, we'll start off at verse 5, halfway down. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Now, here we go. Here's the crescendo. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. that you may be successful wherever you go. Do you want to be successful for wherever you go? Just, just don't turn from this law to the right or to the left. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. We always should be talking about it. Like, what does the word of God say? Can you quote scripture? Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. And then here comes the promise. This is the best part. Then you will be prosperous and successful. 
Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you for wherever you go. Highlight this. Draw a nice little character. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Dependent on if you're in this book, if you're meditating on it day and night, if it's on your lips, if it's a part of your life. If this book is a part of your life, you'll be successful. That's the promise of God. What an incredible promise. And it is so easy to just to, to view this book as a burden. I'm telling you, look, I want to build a fire under you. It is not a burden to read the book. It is life. It should be fun. Just, you know, dredge through the genealogies. But it is so much fun when you uncover what the word of God is saying. Jesus, and John, the Gospel of John, Jesus is called the Word, Logos. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the, the Word was with God. Everything that was made was made by him and was made for him. And when that says, in the beginning was the Word, the Greek definition that I looked up on my phone, the Greek definition is logos. Jesus is the logos. He is the word of God. Do you know what this is? This too is the logos. This is the objective word of God. So in reality, what we're dealing with, we're dealing with two objective logoses, two objective truths. One is your Bible and two is Jesus. And they're both the word of God. It's objective truth about life. But did you know that there is another word about word in the Bible? Okay, just track with me because I lost first service on this concept. <laughs> you have one word in the Bible called logos, which translates to the word, and then weaved throughout the scripture. Sometimes when they use the word word, sometimes they use logos, and sometimes they use rhema. Whenever you see rhema used instead of logos, that's a different type of word. That word is living and breathing and active and activated for you. Have you ever been reading the Word of God and you're like, yeah, I've been there, done that, okay, that makes sense. Like, I need some answers, God. Like, I really want to kill somebody. Is murder wrong? <laughs> yeah? I'm like, oh, dang it. There it is in the Ten Commandments. It's wrong. I guess I shouldn't do that. Okay. And so you're just kind of reading through, and maybe there's some scriptures that have just become familiar. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Everybody knows that. It's so familiar. Familiarity, just you, just you can get a little contemptuous about your scripture, but you shouldn't. Now, if you are reading the book like you should be, being empowered and highlighted and illuminated by the Holy Spirit, you have no idea where in the rhema word of God is going to pop off of those pages and speak to you directly. 
the rhema word of God is like, okay, have you ever done this? Like, you know, you've read the Bible a million times, you've read the gospel a whole bunch, and then all of a sudden you read that, that one verse. And for some reason, this year, that day, it finally clicks in. It finally makes sense. And it does something to your soul. Have you ever had that experience, or is that just me? That is rhema. That is the living, breathing, active word of God communicating to your soul. It's strange, and I love it. I love when God highlights and illuminates the scripture for me, when he makes it beautiful. Different approaches, all true, all accurate about the the word of God. One, yes, it is a rule book. Don't kill people. Right? Just in in case you weren't clear, there's a a passage in there that says, thou shall not murder. It's in here. There's, There's rules for life in this book that we are to follow. So, yes, it's a rule book. When rhema is activated, when we're reading the word of God, it becomes more like a map where it leads you and guides you where you and only you need to be at a specific time. So you can also use this word of God empowered by the Holy Spirit to guide you and navigate you through the hard things in this life. And a lot of times it's in the gray areas because, you know, There are some concrete yes and no's in the word of God. If you're just curious about something, look it up. It will tell you what to do. Um, But it's not going to tell you who to marry besides a Christian. Right? So you get a black and white. Like, you shouldn't be unequally yoked. If you're wondering about that, like, who should I marry? Yeah, yeah, don't marry a pagan. Like, that's in the book. That's like black and white in the book. Do I marry Jennifer or do I marry Abigail? I don't know. That's not in the book, right? That's not gonna, you're not going to get that answer in here. Which one? And so you need the Holy Spirit to talk to you about those gray areas of life. And that's why you need, to, you need to read it this way. So it's a rule book. It's your own personal map for your own personal life direction. Maybe you've heard it you know, described this way. It's a love letter from God to you. Completely accurate. Definitely a love letter from God to you. He is telling you in this book how much he loves you and he's absolutely crazy about you. Somebody gave me another illustration after first service, which I don't like. He says, well, I heard one pastor say that the Bible is like a menu I'm like, okay, okay, consumer Christian. <laughs> so that's like, um, but I could see that, you know? It's like, I mean, you shouldn't like look at the Bible and like pick out what you want, right? I'll take this, you know, I'll, I'll take the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I'm going to get rid of the speaking of tongues thing because I don't like that. So it's, all right, I'm just going to say it. It's not a menu for you to pick and choose what you want. All right, that guy was wrong, whoever said that.
Have you ever treated it as one of those magic eight ball shaky things? <laughs> huh? Have you ever, am I the only one that's done that? Oh, God, I don't know what to do. I'm going to shake up my eight ball. And I just, I seriously, I just pointed to this one. Uh, their rebellion is great. That's like literally where my finger, I did not plan that. I did not plan that. <laughs> their rebellion is great. And their, this, my whole illustration just fell apart on me, didn't it? <laughs> their rebellion is great. And their backslidings are many. <laughs> oh, man, I shouldn't mess around with God like that. Okay, that's too funny. Okay, so there's different ways that we can approach the Bible. And again, we need to revere the Bible, but we shouldn't worship the Bible. Because when you die, your book doesn't get to go with you. This is the only time you get to read it. You don't need to read the book when you're in heaven. Why would you need to read the Bible when you're in heaven? Because you're going to be literally in the presence of the Word of God 24-7. So you don't need the Bible in heaven. So you probably should read it now. The Bible, of course, is about God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The central theme of the scriptures is what Jesus has done for you on the cross. And there's even a pinpoint in that, in that he stepped into our humanity and became man. That's what the story is all about, because it's also a story and comprised of poetry, wisdom literature, histories, laws, and the equivalent of emails for us today, the letters and the epistles, all bound together into something very beautiful. So it's all about God, all these different genres, all these different effects leading us to God. What does God look like to you? Like, maybe just, okay, probably shouldn't close your eyes, but. <laughs> what does God, like, when you imagine God, when you picture God, like, what does he look like in your mind? The contemporary model of what God looks like through cultural references is that he's this, he's this big, old, white guy that looks wise and has a big beard and maybe a halo and lightning bolts. Okay, that's not Yahweh. That's Zeus. Okay, it doesn't look like that. In fact, God the Father has no form. God is spirit. But if you'll allow me and yourself a little bit of artistic license, I want to encourage you not to imagine God as Zeus, but instead... I want to encourage you to imagine God the Father as an artist because that's what he is. He is a creator. He is the ultimate artist. His universe, his multiverse is his canvas. I even believe that we are the subject of his work. That's really arrogant and egotistical to say about humanity, but I think it's true because I haven't seen any aliens lately. 
I think the whole thing <laughs> revolves around us because we are made in his image. Back in the 70s and 80s, you know, everybody was being abducted by aliens. You notice that's not happening anymore? Like that fad wore off. I just don't think there's aliens. Uh, just, um, just for clarifications, I want to believe in aliens. Okay, I just, I don't know if that's a bad thing, but I want there to be aliens, but I don't think there is. I think God sees us as the center of his creation because we are made in his image. The universe is his canvas and he is creating. So now when you think about God, instead of lightning bolts in his hands, I want you to picture a paintbrush in his hand because he's constantly creating. And instead of a halo, just think about one of those cute little fancy French hats that artists wear. That's God. Like he is creating. He can't help himself. He is always constantly making something new. And if you will allow him, he will make something new in you. So I'm going to give you a different perspective on what the Bible is besides all those other illustrations that I gave you. Rule book, compass, map, eight ball. Love letter. So, if your God is an artist, and if we are his craftsmanship, and if we are his work, then what is the word of God? Well, it too was created. See our painting over there? I like it. Do you guys like it? I love this painting. Just so you know, in case you don't, if you haven't been around long enough, it's a, it's, supposed to represent all of the known tribes in the world, from all over the world. So Hyatt Moore, the artist that painted this painting, he put these people together from all different regions of the world, and he placed them at the table with Jesus, the foreshadowing that every, every tribe and every nation is going to come to the understanding of the Word of God. And I, I guess we're really close that every tribe and every nation now has a Bible. And so when that actually takes place, it could be on like Donkey Kong. Once everybody knows, well, once the, the whole, when every tribe knows about Jesus, like he could be coming back. That's one interpretation. We don't know. Um, and Jesus, the artist, is trying to say Jesus is a mix of every single culture on the planet. So that was Hyatt's intention when he made that Jesus look like that. So he's not black, he's not Hispanic, he's definitely not white, but he is no ethnicity. That, that's what Hyatt was trying to accomplish. No ethnicity in that Jesus. It's all ethnicities. I love it. Even though that's not the original, that's a very, very nice and expensive copy of the original. I love it. I love to look at it. I brought a non-believing friend into the church the other day, and the dude was fascinated by it. He just, he was just, it just sucked him over there. He just was drawn to it. He took out his phone and started taking pictures of it. This is a non-believing Christian. That's pretty cool. Like, that artwork witnessed to a non-believer. I didn't have to do anything. This is Hyatt Moore's, one of his books. He's got several books. It's a catalog. 
It's a catalog of, of uh, recent works. This one isn't in there, but he's got drawings and pictures and descriptions of some of his works. So he's got several of these books out. It tells you about his process. It tells you about his work. It tells you even a little bit about himself. I can't, I didn't know this when I grabbed this. Like, I was looking for it this morning. I couldn't find it. But it just, well, this tells you about what he does. And it shows you pictures of what he does. The book is really cool. And I love art books. I brought some. Like, this is a design book that I like. I look at this one all the time because it has pictures. And again, I don't like to read words. I just like to look at pictures. One of my favorite artists, Caravaggio, all of his works that are all in this book tells you a little bit about the artist. But, this one, but Hyatt's is even kind of cooler because Hyatt wrote his own book. And Hyatt put in his own pictures into this. Hyatt is the artist that wrote this book. Do you see where I'm going? Now, I can pick up this catalog. I can learn everything that there is to know that he wants to tell me about Hyatt Moore. I can see his paintings on here, black and white, maybe if I'm lucky, some in color. But just because I have the information about the artist, and just because I have the descriptions of the work, does not mean that I've stood in front of the painting and experienced the painting. God wants you to experience his word, not just read about it, not just get information. He, he's drawing you through rhema experience into experiencing his canvas and you, the centerpiece in that canvas. You've got to experience the real thing. Dad, was it for your birthday we did the, the Van Gogh thing? All right, so we went to this encounter experience Van Gogh immersion thing, which was really cool. And they had us in big giant rooms, kind of like a couple of these put together, and they had projectors on everything, and they were putting up digital images of all of Van Gogh's really cool artwork, and they were playing really awesome, like, techno music, <laughs> like, full-blown immersive experience, like this like sensory overload with Van Gogh. We loved it. And mom and dad's like, yeah, but I've seen the real thing. <laughs> like, I got this close to that piece. They're just seeing a digital, you know, projection on a wall, but I got this close. I got to smell the patina. When I was a museum security guard, I did it all the time. I got in so much trouble, but I was always touching paintings. And I was the guy that I was the guy that was to tell people to stop touching paintings, and I was the one that was touching the paintings. Do so you see the difference? So you can know a lot of things about that piece. You can even see a fake of that piece, but it's not like seeing the original. Experiencing the original. Likewise, you can learn about Hyatt's biography. You can know about his life and his process and the materials that he works with and what he's trying to accomplish in his work. Uh, just because you know things about Hyatt Moore doesn't mean that you know Hyatt Moore. Does that make sense? 
Again, I grabbed this, and I didn't realize it was in there. I thought, because we have like, we had a case of these at one time, and I grabbed one of these this morning because I wanted to do this. And inside of it, it says, it's about life. And then, he's, then Hyatt wrote a note to me, Josh and Mako, treasure hunters, treasure finders, and treasure sharers. Your friends, Hyatt and Ann. I know the guy. I talked to him a couple months ago on the phone. He called me up. I know him. Do you know the Lord? Or do you just know stuff about the Lord that you've read in the book? All right, so here's the big take home. This is the big idea. This is what I want you to get. This is the perception, the optics that, that I want to encourage you to, to shift in when you're thinking about reading the Word of God, when you get bored with the Word of God, when you, when you have the, this complacency, I've been there, done that. I, I, uh, you know, I already know the stories. I did them in Sunday school. Whenever, whenever this, even, even, even contempt, I know, Lord, I don't really like what you said on that passage. I don't agree with that one. Like, thou shalt not kill. I understand and I get that one. I'll obey that one. But these other ones I don't want to obey. Whenever you find yourself getting complacent towards the word of God, I want to encourage you to see it as a work of art. Have you ever thought of this book as a work of art? I'm telling you, it is. When you think about yourself, oh, life is so hard right now, isn't it? There's a lot of self-hate and bashing these days. There's a lot of uh, self-sabotage going on these days, calling yourself negative names. All right. You too are a work of art. It says it. You are my masterpiece, created for good works. God values you, and he loves you. He's painting your life with gold leaf. So you are artwork. This book is artwork, and I'll show you. I'm just going to reread what I read earlier. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, whenever I'm preaching this and whenever other preachers are preaching this, what we usually focus on is the latter half saying, the word of God is really good for rebuking. So, rebuke you. The, re- the Word of God is really good for correcting. So let me get my Bible out and correct you and hit you upside the head with it because you're a bad person. <laughs> you guys like that? Yeah. <laughs> the Word of God is useful for training in righteousness because you're all a bunch of heathens and not righteous. So that's usually what gets preached. But I want to highlight the beginning of this. All Scripture is God-breathed, created 
Do you know what else is God breathed? You, or more specifically, Adam. The Ruach of God, the breath of God, was breathed into Adam and created something completely new. The Holy Spirit upon Pentecost is set upon his children, and the breath of God, the Ruach of God, the Rhema of God, is breathed upon us to do something new. So, if God uses his creative process to breathe life into dead things like Adam, he's also breathed life into this book, which is good for your soul. This book and you have a lot in common. They are both created by the Ruach of God, by the Holy Spirit. All scripture is God-breathed, and it's all good. What new thing does God want to do in you? What does he want to create in you? And probably this last part, uh, so that you're going to be equipped to do every good work. Uh, what, what, cre- what are you going to create with God this week? Once you see this book from a different perspective, okay, this is a work of, God, a work of art, or at least it's a really cool art book, right? It's a really cool catalog about all the amazing stories. And I, you know, God sees me as valuable. He sees me in the center of his story. And if you, can, if you see God with a paintbrush instead of lightning bolts and a beret instead of a halo, he's, he wants to create something with you. He's inviting you into the process. So I challenge you to see this book as a work of art. Different perspective. Amen? Amen. All right. Band, come on up. Grab your elements. We're going to receive communion. I know I've told this personal life story several times, but there's some of you that haven't heard it, so I'm going to tell it again. So those of you that are familiar with it, oh well. When I was 10 years old, Our church smuggled Bibles into China. I, at the time, I didn't really understand the significance of it, but I knew it was cool because I felt like James Bond. Started my life of crime, smuggling Bibles. Wouldn't be the first time I got caught smuggling something. It's a joke. <laughs> And so, me being the last person in, I got caught and detained, and Dad immediately came and was arguing with the soldiers. This was in the 1980s. Uh, Communist China, when China was communist. Like, old school China. It was like a time warp. It was like the 40s. you know, when we went there. It felt like the 40s. Everything was old, and, you know, people were just getting out of starving to death. It was bizarre. And so I got caught, and 
You know, I remember the conversation between my dad and the soldier. And the soldier says, I can take your son away from you, and you're never going to see him again. Why would you do something so stupid and reckless with your child? And he says, because we have a gift to give to the Chinese people, and it's the word of God. He says, you're willing to risk your son for giving these people a gift? He says, yes. Now, that seems pretty heavy. I've never had to go to counseling over this because I get it. In fact, it's that experience that helps me appreciate the Bible for what it really is. A life-giving work of art for people that desperately need it. It changed my perspective on the value and the reverence of the Bible. That people were willing to die. And we had friends, Chinese friends, that did die because they were carrying the Bible after, we, after us comfortable Americans got back. For a book. And they were even cheap, lousy Bibles. They weren't pretty Bibles. They were cheap, lousy ones. But people were still willing to give their lives just to have one. I'll never forget my dad saying, we're doing this to give a gift, the gift of life to the Chinese people. So one more thought. Your Bible is a gift. And inside that gift, there's also the free gift of salvation. You need to see the Eucharist as another amazing gift from God. We're invited in to be a part of his body, and we didn't earn that right. We didn't deserve this right. You, like, you don't have to read the Bible cover to cover to eat this food, by the way. Did you know that? Did it, you know, look, again, everybody, all of us have fallen short and sort of the glory of God because we're not staying on the reading plan. <laughs> right? It's okay. The reading plan's not going to get you to heaven. This does. This free gift does. The reading plan will make you wiser and prosperous, faster and better. That's what the reading plan does. But it doesn't save you. This saves you. This is God's body broken for you. This is your provision. This is everything that you need in life. Receive the body of Christ. The next great gift is the gift of the new covenant inside of this cup. Washes away our sins. And when you have the blood of Christ flowing through your veins, purging out everything that you have ever done or thought or said, the forgiveness of sins through the shedding of innocent blood. Well, it forgives you, but this blood also makes you new. Yeah? It doesn't leave you in a state of death. It creates new life. This is the life force. So when you receive the covenant, the new covenant, the blood of Jesus Christ, you need to see it as he's painting something new. This is the most powerful pigment in the world, and it's going to make you a new creation. 
receive the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and the newness of life. Thank you, Jesus. Can I have the ushers come to the front? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word, the, the, the free gift of your word, the free gift of salvation. I thank you, God, that you are a creator, that you are an artist, and you can make something beautiful out of the mess that we've made. God, we're looking so forward to the new creation this week. What new things will you do in us? What new things will be created what new friendships will form? What new expressions of your love can we partner with? God, you are so good. Forgive us, God. Forgive us for not holding your word, the scriptures, in reverence as we should. Pray you bless this offering to its fullest extent so that maybe someday we can take Bibles to a tribe that has never heard the word of God. In your name, amen. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing Allow the Holy Spirit, the rhema of God, just to rest on you right now. He's going to do something new in your mind. He's going to illuminate something in you to take out of the room. Allow the illumination to take place. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. Cause his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you, turning towards you in your times of need. May the Lord do something new and creative in your home today. May he fill your home with his peace. And may he lead you into the newness of life and the godly prosperity that only comes from him. God bless you guys. Have a blessed week. See you soon.